0: Romans chapter 15, and I'd ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word once again, if you're able to, uh, Romans 15 verse 14, and um, the message title here is Keys to an Impactful Impactful Christian Life, or we could even say Keys to Effective Ministry, that we're going to talk about today. So in Romans 15 verse 14, I'm going to read, just follow along with me. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nonetheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will dare not to speak to you, speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, and round about to Elychium, I have fully preached the gospel of God. And I also make it known. make it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he has not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Verse 22. For this reason, I have been much hindered from coming to you, But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed. And they are debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Verse 28, Therefore, when I have performed this and have, have sealed to them there, this fruit, I shall go by way, to you of Spain, way of you to Spain. But I know when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, Brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul was very strong in his call to ministry, wouldn't you say? And, and we see in these texts that we've been, we just read through some very valuable lessons in regards to the Christian life and Christian ministry. The title again today is Keys to an Impactful Christian Life, or, or in one sense it could be Keys to Effective Ministry. And we're called to serve. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he came to serve our lives, and he did so by dying on that cross and raising from the dead. And we also are like Jesus. We've been called to serve him. Now, you may not be called to serve him in the full-time ministry like I am, but nonetheless, you still have a calling on your life that each of us has A ministry, a calling, and something that we're called to do. God wants us all to have an impact in this life. You are called, I am called, to have an impactful Christian life. We're supposed to be salt in life. We're supposed to affect our world around us. Paul begins this, and and as he begins this section, he talks about and he compliments them on what they are in Christ already. He's been talking with these Romans about... Unity and the importance of not nitpicking on things. And now he turns and he says, well, I've been correcting you in a sense, but now I want to compliment you. Notice in verse 14, he says, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. He, he says three things, very, very valuable things to them. He says, look, you guys are full of goodness. You guys are full of knowledge. You're students. And then, and of course, you're able, because you're full of goodness and you're full of knowledge, you're able to admonish one another also. This is something that Paul wants them to know about, his heart toward them. Hey, you guys are doing well. You're doing well with, with, the, with what God's done in your life. He's been exhorting them strongly, and now he wants them to know, he doesn't think of them as novices, he's, he's blessed by them. And, and he tells them then why he is bold toward them. He says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace of God given to me. He's, he's like, listen, I want to remind you of some very important things here. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul really wants them to know that these things that I'm about to tell you are really essential. Some Boldly, he says, I've written boldly about these things. You know, God is the one who gives you boldness when you are asking for it. He can give you boldness to speak forth his word. I know this when the Lord gives me this. I sense this, right? You, you get this, just just this boldness. Just, just go for it, right? And Paul had that, right? He, he, he was not a shy guy. I don't think Paul was ever a shy man, do you? <clears throat> And my first point in an impactful Christian life, when we look at this, is what is an impactful Christian life? What is it? What is? What is one of the signatures? And there are six of them here that I find. And, and the first one that I find in our text here is found right in that verse. He says, "Because of the grace given to me by God." Listen, an effective ministry, an impactful Christian life is got to be about the grace of God. It's got to be. Your life has got to be oozing with grace. And, in sense. I like to call myself a grace junkie. See, anything we are and anything we do and anything we have in this life is by the grace of God. Isn't it true? What do we call grace? Unmerited, undeserved favor. And, and it's, it's different than mercy in that mercy is not getting what you deserve. What do we deserve, guys? Death, hell, rejection from God. But we don't get it, so that's mercy. But grace is more than that, is it not? Grace is actually getting what you do not deserve. Grace is what? What, what, What's grace? It's that we're going to heaven. See, mercy is I'm not going to hell. Grace is I am going to heaven. And and sometimes, you know, and and grace, it's amazingly undeserved, right? I I, I can't help but share this illustration. It's an old one that I, I experienced many years ago. My son was about 17 years old. He's now 37, so it's 20 years old. But we were uh, 36, sorry, 19. Uh, so we were on our way on a trip to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi to help with Hurricane Katrina. Remember Hurricane Katrina? So we had this mission trip planned, and there was a whole crew of guys. Uh, Calvary Chapel set up a, a camp down there in, in uh, Bay St. Louis, and it was a really great ministry. And we were the we were the leaders of the camp for the week. There's about 150 people a week would come into this camp and then go out and help the people all around. And it was from Calvary chapels all over the country. And so I was connected with one of the pastors and he said, well, you take this week and you guys are in charge. So you do the teaching for them. Uh, you know, and I said, oh yeah, my son can come and he can lead the worship because he was good. He's a good worship leader. So You know we're we're all ready to go. I get up early in the morning. I am just so excited about this mission trip. I'm doing my devos. I'm seeking the oh Lord, do this, do a great work. I'm crying out to God, and I realize it's it's seven o'clock and we've got to leave. And my son's still in bed, and I'm like, Hey, Mike, get up! You got to go. Okay, you know, seventeen year old rolls out of bed, throws his clothes together. We jump in the car. I've got a six passenger or eight passenger SUV and we pick up a bunch of other people that are going with us. So now we're in the car, and we're halfway to the airport. We live about an hour and 20 minutes from the airport. We're halfway to the airport, and from the back of the car, sitting in the corner, I hear my son say, Hey, Dad, I forgot my guitar. Now, you're the worship leader for the week for 150 people, and you forgot your guitar. And I'm driving, and there's all these, I'm the pastor, right? And there's all these other Christians in the car, so I can't yell at them. I want to, but I don't want to sin in front of everybody. But I'm sinning in my heart already because I'm mad at it. I'm really mad at it. I'm like, you idiot. You are the dumbest human being on planet Earth. You know. And uh, so so he's like, you know, so I said, we don't have time to go back. So we go to the airport. And he gets out of the car. He's, you know, he's acting so spiritually. He walks up to me, and he says, Dad, I know the Lord's got this. And I said, get away from me. <laughs> you know he 's got all this faith, and i 'm like mad at him you know i 'm still mad and and so um so we get into the airport, and you know you go up and 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 the you know we 're waiting for the plane, and they announce that they need someone to give up their seat. You know how they do that with airlines, so they say you know we're looking for a few people to give up their seats and he looks at me and goes, "This is it and he goes up to the desk and they they say okay he says uh, they 'll put him on a later flight that same day." And he's got time to take my car, go back, meet somebody, get the guitar, come back up to the airport, park my car, and go, right? He's like, he goes up to him, he he tells him, Dad, they're going to do this. They're going to give me a new flight, and they're going to give me 400 bucks. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, go for it. So he jumps in the car, he runs, somebody meets him with the guitar, they get it all, he gets, barely makes the flight. But then he gets on the flight. Now, I'm on my flight. It's a little plane. It's, it's a like 50 seater, just two seats on each side. We're flying over the top of a hurricane. It is bouncing. It's the worst flight. I mean, I've never been on a flight since or before that. In fact, a pilot, a a, a pilot of small planes is sitting across the aisle from me. And I say to him, I look over at him and I'm green. I'm getting sick. I throw every half the people on the plane are throwing up. It's awful. And you know, you imagine the smell. It's terrible. I look at this guy, and he looks at me, and he goes, now he's a pilot. He goes, wow, this is the worst flight I've ever been on. <laughs> he's a pilot of small planes. I'm like, great. So we land in Jackson, Mississippi. We go to New Orleans. We have to go to New Orleans to pick Mike up. We go to New Orleans. He comes walking out with his car, big smile on his face, walks out. He's all happy. He looks at me, and goes, Dad, that's the best flight I've ever been on. <laughs> I'm like what? He goes, man, they put me in first class. I got Chateaubriand. I had a chocolate Sunday, fudge Sunday. It was unbelievable. I've never had anything like that in my life. I said, I hate you right now. (laughs) You are, you're not even my son anymore. Like I disown you, you know. But that you see, he got up in the morning, he rolled out of bed. He wasn't ready for the day. He wasn't spiritually deep. He wasn't prepared. He was just a mess. I got up. I'm all spiritual. Did I get anything? No. He got the grace of God. He got what he didn't deserve. He got what I deserved. <laughs> That's grace, guys. Not getting. It's getting what you do not deserve. He didn't deserve Chateaubriand. He didn't deserve the nice flight. He didn't deserve the $400 voucher. And you know what my first topic that I was teaching on that week? What do you think? The grace of God. So there was my illustration. I gave it. I humbled myself. The grace of God. You know, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I am the least of the apostles. And, and, you know, some people try to think, oh, Paul's just trying to be self-deprivation out here. No, he really believed this. I I, I believe this. Who am not worthy to be called a apostle because I persecuted the church. He was a killer of Christians. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say that? Cause I can, no doubt. You know, I got family with me today. My sister's with me. She could tell you the grace of God. I am who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. But not I. I didn't labor, but the grace of God which was with me. See, we need to be about the grace of God. This is one of the key things that sets Christianity, true Christianity apart is god's grace and and when the church becomes legalistic when we and listen legalism is way easier than grace did you know that it's easier to have a list of rules and say well just follow the rules but when somebody falls short of the rules well you didn't follow the rules no grace says it's okay we're gonna help pick you up we're gonna help you walk Whatever we do in the church and in life, it has to be by God's grace. We need to focus on grace. Grace grace needs to be the center of our lives, the center of our ministry. We need grace for every aspect of of relationship and ministry. We need grace for each other. We need grace for for children. You know, if you're around children, you definitely need grace. (laughs) You got to give them grace because they're messing up all the time. And what are we but nothing but big children, right? We need grace for drug addicts. We need grace for... Everything. And grace also motivates us and separates us from some organization of the world. And grace also, you know, one of the biggest truths that grace promotes in our hearts is that we are forgiven. Amen? Forgiveness, man. And we have the tools to forgive others because we're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we let sin enslave us. Have you ever done that? I was reading a story about a little boy. He's visiting his grandparents, and he was given his first slingshot. And so he practiced in the woods, and 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 he could never hit his target. He was not doing very well with it. But as he came back to Grandma's house, he thought, he spied her pet duck. And he thought, well, I won't hit him anyway. And he shot at that pet duck, and sure enough, bang, he hit the duck, and it was dead. The little guy panicked. He didn't know what to do. So... He hid the dead duck. He took it and hid it in a wood pile. And only to look up as he's hiding it to see his older sister looking right at him. Now he's in trouble. And uh, little Sally, she, the older, the older sister, you know, she says, uh, you know, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything. But after lunch, Grandma says, Sally, I want you to wash the dishes. And, and Sally says, you know what? Johnny told me he wanted to wash the dishes from now on. And so sure enough, he washed the dishes. And, uh, and then, uh, as she did, he, she turned to him and he, he, she said, remember the duck. And, uh, and then, you know, grandpa said later on he wanted to go fishing. He wanted to take, take a little Johnny fishing. And, you know, Sally smiled again. Uh, and, and, you know, she wanted, grandpa said, well, he, she wanted to go too. And she said, well, he, he wants to go. She says, I'm sorry, but I need to, I need Sally to help me, grandma says in the home with supper. Sally turns, she says, you know, I I think Johnny wants to help you in the home, Grandma. And she whispers again to him, remember the duck. So Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. A couple days go by. This is going on. Every single thing, she's making him do all her chores. Finally, he just couldn't stand it. He goes to Grandma and he confesses. He said, I killed your duck. She says, I know, Johnny. She gives him a hug. And she, she said, I was standing right in the window, and I watched, and I saw when you took the duck and put it behind the woodpile. But I love you, and I forgave you. And I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave to your own sin. <laughs> Sometimes we do the same thing. We, we, we let sin rule us. We become a slave to it because we're unwilling to just confess it and realize we're forgiven. And our confession, by the way, is not for us. It's not for God, I mean. It's for us. Confession means to speak the same as God. So all we're doing is agreeing with God when we confess. God's saying, I know. It's just like Grandma. We need grace and forgiveness. And another aspect of grace is forgiveness toward one another. This is an aspect of grace that we must practice. And we've talked about this already. And I think Pastor Bill probably spoke with you about this when he was here is is this idea of forgiving every person who's ever hurt you in your life it's that it's that freedom and your willingness to forgive is one of the greatest assets you have as a christian because one of the greatest tools that satan will use against you is unforgiveness because unforgiveness will lead to bitterness in fact the ultimate goal of every relationship in life should be that you should have a forgiving relationship with one another, a grace-filled relationship. And, and let me just make sure I'm clear of this, and I might have said this already in my other teachings, but forgiveness and, and giving unforgiveness and, and, uh, is not the same as reconciliation. You can't always reconcile, because that takes two parties, right? But you always can forgive. Forgiveness is vertical. You, before God, you have received forgiveness, and so you give forgiveness. You don't hold on to things. There's two things that are true in life. You will be hurt by others. So forgive them. And you will hurt others. So ask for forgiveness. It's just a fact. It's, it's going to be the way it is. Jesus said that there would be offenses that would come. Period. and And that, that we need to forgive one another. And we ultimately choose our life, and how we're going to live our life by our actions of forgiveness. And the only response that wins every time is when we forgive others, when we humble ourselves and forgive others. It always works out better for us. Forgiveness requires supernatural power, though, doesn't it? It requires the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't forgive without God, and, and you'll most likely forgive multiple times. Remember what Jesus said about Forgiveness. How many times should you forgive your brother? Peter thought he was being so spiritual. Normally, three times. That was a big deal. Peter said, seven times. Peter thought, watch this, boys. I'm gonna tell them seven times. And Jesus said, I sand you up to what? 70 times seven. Of course, that means you get to 490. You know, you, you get to about 480 and you start counting. Let's see, 481. I only got only got nine more. 42. <laughs> No, of course not. It means you just keep forgiving, right? Learn to forgive, and you free yourself to live. Learn to apologize, and you just might save a relationship. You see, forgiveness, one guy said it this way. He said, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. And to forgive, to fail to do this, and you'll struggle with every relationship in life. To forgive, one man said, Lewis Meads, He said, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Paul said it, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And if you're having trouble with forgiveness, just look to your own life and realize your own sin and what you've been forgiven. And you have to really say and question, how can I hold on? to forgiving someone else when I've been forgiven so much. And every one of us knows ourselves and knows that we've been forgiven so tremendously. Okay, I have really taken a long time on the first one. That's the first of the keys. Wow. Anyway, the second is the center is the gospel of God. Look what Paul says in verses 16-16. Verses 19 and verses 20, he says he's ministering the gospel of God. Then he says he's fully preached the gospel of Christ. And then he said he's, my aim, he's made it my aim to preach the gospel wherever uh, he's not been named. Three times. See, this is why we're on earth. You guys, you've gotten to know me well enough in the last three weeks that I love to share the gospel. It is in my DNA. And if you want to impact this world, you, you know, you want to be an impactful Christian, be willing to share the gospel, and it doesn't mean you have to do it the way I do it. I've had several people ask me that through the time here. Well, how do you do this? And how do you? It's not a. It's not a formula on how to do it. It's a heart to be willing to share what God's put in your life. Let God, let God use you. Let your light so shine. You see, Jesus could have already come back, and Jesus, the Lord, could be in the in the Book of Revelation. He will be proclaiming the gospel by angels riding it across the sky. So he could do that now if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He leaves you here to do it. He leaves me here to do it. This is our calling, a ministry of reconciliation, to bring people to Christ. And I I just, you know this, I've got a newfound boldness and excitement of sharing the gospel. I love it. On my flight home, we took a red-eye home, which I, I don't highly recommend at all, but we ended up because we I had some passes into the United Club because of the credit card we use. And so I was able to get these free passes. We go into the United Club in Portland. It's small. It's a small probably the smallest club I've ever been in. And we're sitting in there and my wife sits down and she gets starts doing her thing or little crocheting or whatever she's doing and, and I'm just wired. I'm like and I'm walking around. So I walk over to the bar and I ask for a seltzer and they gave me a seltzer and I'm you know, I'm just talking and I ended up sharing with these people, a guy named Matt and another uh, lady named Carolyn. And they just, they were so open. I shared the gospel with them. And God was doing such a great thing. I mean, we talked for, I was there for five hours, six hours. I got lots of time. (laughs) And they're working, but they're not working there. There's not that many people. And so we just had this great, great conversation. And the fellow shared his heart with me. they're, They're open to the Lord. They're open to the work of God in their life. And it's a great thing. Be open to see what God will do if you will just share with people. If you will just be open to being being used by God. And it doesn't always result in people coming to Christ. Sometimes it's just dropping a little seed. But you, you just share with, preach the gospel, give the Lord, give the word. One of the things, one of the problems we may have sometimes is we assume that if people say they go to church or they're religious, that they know the Lord. Do you know that that's not necessarily true? I've had people sitting in my church for years who didn't know the Lord. And they heard the gospel every week. Don't assume people know the Lord. Share the Lord with them and lead try to lead them to Christ. I grew up in a religious home and I didn't believe I believed in God, but I never heard the gospel until I was 17, 18 years old. Never heard it. Never heard the clear gospel that Jesus died for me personally. I knew it the general, but not the not the absolute I never heard I needed to have a personal relationship with Christ. I never heard that I needed to be born again until 17. And, and you know, it's so sad because some religion doesn't even teach it. The Pope was quoted a couple years ago as saying that, that we don't need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And anyone who looks for one, it's kind of an arrogant thing or a dangerous thing to even ask for a personal relationship with Christ. That's blasphemous. The gospel is the teaching, of course, that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross personally, and that if we believe that he died and he rose again from the dead. We can be saved if we put our trust in him. That is the gospel. That's the good news, that we're sinners and we need salvation, right? So don't assume that. Go into the world and make disciples, preaching the gospel to every creature. Now, the third one here is Paul says, not only should you have the grace of God be the center and the gospel of God be the center, but also you should do it all for the glory of God. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. An impactful Christian life will bring glory to the Lord, not to himself. That's an amazing thing Paul's saying here, really. He said he has reason to glory in Jesus because he's an apostle to the Gentiles. And when you think about that, Paul, the Jew who's persecuting Jews, who then God calls to preach to the Gentiles, if you knew the culture, if you understand the culture of that at all, that's a really powerful thing. And in a sense, Paul is saying, if it were not for Jesus, if it were not for what Christ did in me, for all the glory that I give to him, if it were not for him, I'd be I'd be a killer. I would have killed more Christians and I would be who knows if he'd even where he'd be himself and he knows he'd be destined for hell. He was changed and he knew that his call was to obey what Christ had put for him for the glory of God the glory of God not for our glory not for his glory. And this is so true of all of us. Think about it. What would you be, where would you be if you didn't know Jesus? (laughs) What would your life be? I can tell you, I probably wouldn't be married. My wife became pregnant before we were married. And that's what led us to Christ. That's how we came to Christ. But even if I had gotten married, I wouldn't have made it in marriage. And I would have probably only had one kid and I would have ran away. There's no way I would have stuck it out. Without the Lord, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't have four kids. We wouldn't have seven grandkids. I certainly wouldn't have been a pastor. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. (laughs) Maybe the church that I pastored for years wouldn't exist, or if it did, obviously somebody else would have done it. I give all glory to the Lord, though. It's Him. Because of what He did, He changed the direction of a life. And your life, my life, all of our lives, our lives were headed in one way, and He completely redirected it. And it's all because of what He did for His glory. And Paul is like, hey, what I am, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am for the glory of God. I want my life to glorify the Lord. And that's the way we all need to live our lives. And when we do glorify the Lord, it has great impact on people. When we don't take credit, because you know, the world is always saying, today's world is all about having a name. Having a position now it's on social media, right? you want to get as many followers as you can on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Foolishgram or whatever you know <laughs> you, you, you get as many followers and more followers and you know you know people are making big money doing this I have one kid I know he's got five hundred thousand followers and he's doing music and he that's his job that's what he does. He just does music on the internet everybody follows him, they donate money, and he's making a boatload of money. And he's like 22 years old. So he's not working. It's not work. It's fun. He has fun and makes money. There's something wrong with that. There's no sweat of your brow connected to that whatsoever, all right? It's all a social media scam. How long can that last? Paul said, He said, look at verse 18. He said, I will not dare to speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word, deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. I'm not going to even talk about anything that Christ didn't do. Kind of like that song by Selah at the end of the song. It says, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. How could I gain from this reward? His reward, I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. It's because of what He did. We have to always remember that it begins with God and ends with God. It's what He did, not what we do. See, religion is all about what we do. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. True Christianity is all about what He did. And He said, it is done, it is finished. Fourthly, notice this in verse 19. In power signs, and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. Listen, Paul realizes this. Not only does he give glory to God; not only is it the grace of God he wants to preach; not only does he want to make sure it's for the glory of God, and he and he's, he's and he's and he's knows that it's about God, but that the power comes from God. The power comes from God. To realize. The power of the spirit is how we function. Listen, if I'm not doing any, if I'm doing anything under the power of my own ability, may God shut it down. It's the power of His Spirit. We wait on the Lord. We ask the Lord, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Make me prepared to give and to do what You want me to do this day. And I talked about it last week. I said, listen, if you're if you know you're having trouble being filled with the Spirit, go back to Him and ask for refills, and they're free. <laughs> free refills are the best. You get free refills and Remember, you all leak every week. You probably leaked a bunch this week, so you need a refill, right? Who doesn't need a refill? Every one of us. We come back and we say, Lord, fill my life. Be being filled with the Spirit. And people say, well, that's not my theology. I believe you got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You know what? You need the power of the Spirit every day. Lord, fill me. Fill me afresh. I need it. The power comes from God. The Holy Spirit is the one who provides it. Remember when the Jesus when Jesus was crucified, the disciples all went into hiding, and even after they saw Jesus risen from the dead, they didn't they weren't ready to minister. Yeah, uh, Peter Peter had denied the Lord. He, then Jesus met him on the beach that time, said, "Peter, do you love me?" Peter, "Do you love me?" And that whole conversation and, and 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 you know, Jesus had told them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." But they were like, "What are we doing? We don't know what to do," and they're hiding. Then he, then he leaves. He says, I'm going fishing. And then Jesus meets them at the beach. And all that goes on. But then on the, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on the turret. And it changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ became more, much more real to them. And the reason for it became much more real to them the day that Jesus sent his Spirit. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. And it was in, in order that they could be a witness to go into the world and preach the gospel. And we often think, well, the power of the Spirit, why don't we see more healings today? Why don't we see more you know, manifestations of the Spirit in that sense? I think the reason we don't in the United States of America a whole lot is because we have the gospel. We have the witness. It's here. You know where you see miracle healings is in places like Haiti, where there's voodoo and there's darkness or Places like Africa where they haven't heard the gospel. Then you see these miracles. And I've heard many testimonies of those things. But the greatest healing is when someone comes to Christ anyway, right? It's, you know, even Jesus, when he healed the man who his friends dropped him down in front of him, what did he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. That's the first thing he said. He didn't heal him right away. He said, your sins are forgiven. And so often Jesus did that with someone who was lame or sick. He talked to them about their sins being forgiven before they even were raised up. And then he said, well, then you may know that the Son of Man has the right to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. (laughs) And whatever ministry God calls you to do, be led by the Spirit, be dependent on the Spirit. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's moving a chair, singing a song, setting up the sound, teaching kids, whatever it is. We need the power of the Spirit of God. Amen? And then fifthly, the goals that we have are God's purposes, not our own. Look at verse 20. And, and here he's talking about outreach. He says, so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. God, God's plan for Paul's life is that he would reach the unreached and go to places where the gospel had not yet been preached. This might seem difficult today. You might think, well, where am I going to go today where the gospel hasn't been preached? But I'll tell you what, more and more in the United States of America, you can find plenty of places where they don't know who Jesus is. You can find people right here in Newburgh that don't know who Jesus is. I understand this this town used to be the, the number one church town in the United States. Is that, that's correct. I, heard, I read that somewhere. I heard that. Number one church town in the United States. Most churches per capita In the United States. In Newburgh, Oregon. By the way, it didn't say the most Christians. It said the most churched. And just because there's a church doesn't mean it's Christians, right? We all know that. But it's far from that now, is it? Not even the most churched. It's no longer the most churched. And we need a new move of the Spirit to become a people of outreach. I'm convinced that Paul preached the gospel every day of his life. I don't think he ever went through a day. He left the church in Antioch, leaving on a missionary journey, and he honestly, in one sense, never came back. (laughs) In his heart, he never came back. He didn't settle in any one location except for, they think, maybe two years in Corinth. Everywhere else, he went around preaching the gospel and appointing elders in every city, and then he'd move on to the next city and do more of that. We're called to reach the unreached. The unreached people. And you know, there's actually unreached people groups in this world. There are actually whole groups of people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We've been a part of ministries that have, we've supported and sent funds and sent uh, missionaries to to preach to unreached people groups. We have a community right by us in New Jersey. They're a Hasidic Jewish community. They're the number, number one Orthodox Jewish community outside of Israel is five minutes from our church. It's right next to our church. And it's sprawling and growing and they're taking over the world over there. But we have a ministry to them. And we have a fellow that's meeting individually and even with little groups of Jewish men and sharing Jesus Christ with them. It's a wonderful thing. And then to teach the untaught. Paul was not just a preacher, by the way. He was a teacher, too. Notice in verse 21, it says, To whom he has announced they shall not see, and those who have not heard yet shall understand. And so he wants to give them understanding. This is the difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is the proclamation of the truth of, of the gospel or the word of God, but teaching is giving understanding, helping have comprehension of what the word of God is teaching or saying. And we know he was a man of great depth with the teachings of justification and sanctification and the depth of salvation and These fancy words like propitiation and such things, which is the substitutionary sacrifice, the satisfactory substitutionary sacrifice of Christ is propitiation. That's free. You can have that one. But I want you to notice one more thing in this in this text. And and I'm closing up with verses 25 and 27, that it was that they were financially providing for the ministry, that, 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 that the ministry is backed by God's people. You know, that, that, that if you want to have an impactful Christian life, you've got to be one who is willing to give and back the work of God. And also, a, a ministry needs to have the backing of the people of God. Look what he says in verse 25. He's talking about going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions. This is to the poor in the saints in Jerusalem. There was a, there was a, a famine in Jerusalem. So Paul's basically going around having a, a, a offering and receiving an offering for the Jerusalem church. He's basically saying, you Gentiles have benefited from the gospel because the, the, the gospel began in Jerusalem, now give back to Jerusalem. And that's a blessing. He's receiving offerings. There's a great need in the church in Jerusalem, and Paul saw that great opportunity. And there are great financial needs in ministry, and you should look for opportunities to give to them. And you know to to be to let god use you let god stir you and by the way i've heard about the giving of this church i've gotten a little information on that and i'm blessed to hear how you guys have provided for this ministry what a great thing that's a, that's a that's a thing to be honored to say hey you've you've blessed this church you've ministered you've you've given of yourself you they say you can tell more about a person's wallet or how, what they give to than what maybe what they pray about <laughs> Because, you know, when you give your money, you're basically saying, I, I'm i in. I'm in this. I'm dedicated. And that's a good thing. But then also, I want you to note that Paul doesn't leave it at giving. And unfortunately, a lot of ministries ask about giving and talk about it. But he actually asks for prayer. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, I beg you, brethren, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul was desperate for the prayer of the Roman Christians. He was not afraid or too proud to ask for prayer. And listen, I agree with him. Listen, you you know, I'm going to be here a little bit longer. Would you remember me and pray for me? Would you guys do that? Maybe take my picture and carry it on your phone every day. No. <laughs> but remember me. Pray for the appointment ministry. Pray for what we do. This is an essential ministry we're involved in. And I'm so grateful to be a part of it. But I need your prayers. I covet them. I ask you for them. I beg you like Paul did. And notice he says, he prays for that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about the unbelievers who are going against him. He's actually talking about the Jews who believe in God but don't believe in Jesus and are fighting against his gospel of grace. And he says that my my, my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Look at verse 32. And that I may come to you with joy, by the will of God, it may be refreshed together with you, and that God of peace be with you all. Amen. He, he Finally, he prays that he would one day be able to visit Rome. You know, Paul had written the book of Romans, and he never, he never visited Rome. And as far as we know, we're not sure he ever did visit Rome. And he says that, that his joy may be complete, and that he may be refreshed by you. Can I just tell you guys something I want to just share with you from my heart to yours? Coming here and meeting all you guys has been really refreshing to me. I've really enjoyed it. I like this little church. And I've been so blessed to know you guys and to be a part of this. And uh, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for letting me come and and share with you and and shepherd you for a, a few weeks. So in conclusion today, and in application, would you say your life is having a great impact for Jesus Christ in this world? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I want you to think about that. Are you walking in forgiveness? Are you carrying any bitterness? The Lord wants to deal with that. He wants that out of your life. You say, yeah, but they, they're not responding. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You are not responsible for how anyone responds to you. You're responsible between you and the Lord to offer forgiveness. And maybe it's to tell them you forgive them. And they may say, I don't care. And you say, that's okay. I'm being obedient. And I sense and I believe there's probably some in every group, I think there's probably some in this room where that forgiveness issue is, is, is a root. It's going on right now. And you know. And here's how you know. If I say there's someone you haven't forgiven in your life, you're not sure if you've forgiven, the picture of them comes to your mind. There they are. Boom. If you look them up in the dictionary, it would say unforgiveness. <laughs> you say, I need to forgive this person. Now, if you don't have that, that's good. Praise the Lord. But if you do, then you haven't dealt with it completely. And I'm not saying it's easy to do. It's something you have to keep doing. Remember, Jesus said 490 times, right? You have to keep doing it. And sometimes they hurt you again. And you're like, I'm done with them. Anybody ever say that? (laughs) Walk in forgiveness. The grace of God. Are you living out the grace of God in your life? Are you extending grace to people who make mistakes? Because you know what? There's one thing for sure: if you're around people, you're gonna see them make mistakes. <laughs> right? Are you living your life for the glory of God? For the gospel of God? Are you living for the will of God in your life? By the power of God, backed by the people of God. Is this is that what your life is like? He could not describe that little sentence. I gotta. sentence of what Paul is. Here's Paul's life. Paul was a minister by the grace of God, of the gospel of God, with a goal to do the will of God, by the power of God, backed by the people of God. I'm going to say that again. I, I think that's an incredible statement from this text of who Paul is and who we need to strive to be. A minister of the grace of God, Of the gospel of God, for the glory of God, with a goal to do the will of God, by the power of God, backed by the people of God. Is that your life? Is it mine? I pray it is mine, and I'm going there. I have not attained, as Paul says in Philippians. But I press on toward the goal of the higher mark of the call of Christ Jesus. And and, and that's where we need to be going. We need to be seeking to do that. It's a great guideline for living an impactful Christian life. May God clarify the calling on your life. May you be filled with his grace and be glorifying him. And may his power come upon you to do his will. Amen? Amen.